Hi, I'm Kelsey Zeiser. Welcome to What's the Story, a short podcast from Light Reading, where we take a step back from the most significant topics in telecom to tell you the latest news, how we got here, what it all means, and what to expect next. Today, I'm talking with Phil Harvey about his recent tour of AT&T's central office. Phil discusses AT&T's edge strategy, their public cloud partnership with Microsoft, and also provides an update on AT&T's FirstNet emergency response service. Hey, Phil. <laughs> Welcome to What's the Story? Oh, you're going to sing it. Well, that's yeah. nice. Uh, yeah. Hello, Kelsey. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> we do the whole podcast singing. People would be like, stop. How annoying would that be? So annoying. <laughs> I'm almost tempted to do it. But uh, anyway, I'm, go- I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. Uh, so you got a tour of AT&T's offices recently. How did that go? Yeah, I did. It was uh, so it was early earlier this month and uh, for first week of October, actually. And um AT&T invited to their Dallas headquarters uh, some trade journalists. So RCR Wireless was there. Fierce was there. We were there. SDX Central was there. And they wanted to give us some uh, kind of updates on the company, but they really weren't updates as much as it was just sort of um, explanatory, you know, details about the people's, the various executives, what they did, what their departments were doing, what they're excited about, that sort of thing. And most of the executives were people that we've never met before because AT&T had a huge uh, turnover in its executive ranks uh, earlier this year, like I think around February of this year. So it's been, um, so it's, it's, so there's a lot of new faces at certain positions and those folks were simply articulating, you know, what their plans were, what their strategy is all about, what they like about where the company's going, and that sort of thing. Yeah, and you, um, you had a recent article about, um, you know, it sounds like they had some updates on Edge and Cloud mm-hmm. and um, some of their fiber um, uh, strategy. So, what what can you tell us? Yeah, um, it, any of those topics. <laughs> well, I would urge every. I mean, the the whole article, like I said, I would urge people to go and check it out because it's about. I went for about twenty two hundred words on on everything because all the stories are kind of interconnected, mm-hmm. and I used the sort of the set piece of the story was kind of the set piece of the tour. So, I, so this was a broken up over two days, and they took us the second day. They took us to one of their central office facilities. Which anymore in a telco, the central office is the central office for the old phone network, mm-hmm. but it's also a functioning cloud data center. And it's also partly a research and development place. And it's also where all the fiber to the home connections terminate in a region and stuff like that. And so this was a particularly big central office in, um, in, in a neighborhood in Dallas. And it served a lot of people and businesses, and it had every generation of AT&T's network inside of it. Um, and that was pretty interesting. And so I kind of used that as the backdrop for, you know, all the discussions, because in, in the discussions themselves, there really wasn't anything said that was wholly new. There was just a little bit more uh, 
uh, detail around like AT&T's vision of what edge computing and edge networking should look like, um, and then how that relates to its public cloud strategy. And so the the way those two things interlink is very interesting. So AT&T is, um, you know, they're, they've announced a lot of this stuff, you know, partnerships with my, uh, Microsoft's Azure platform. And, um, you know, they sold uh, their network operating system and, uh, and a lot of uh, expertise that came along with developing it to Microsoft so that Microsoft could um, not just not only better serve AT&T, but also commercialize it, update it, improve it, and sell it to other carriers as well. Um, so they explained, you know, how that, why that decision came about. Um, they explained, you know, what that, what their public cloud strategy is as it relates to the edge. Um, and then they just talked about the build out and why it's kind of an exciting time. So they're building out their capabilities at the edge and why it's exciting for them is that, uh, they have a ton of, uh, opportunities coming up in various vertical industries, but they have no idea really how profitable those opportunities are going to be and which one's going to hit first. So it puts kind of a, a, a bit of positive commercial pressure on them to, you know, really uh, refine their approach, uh, make sure they know how to turn that stuff up quickly, and then to start targeting population centers and other places where they think the edge will be needed, you know, edge capabilities will be needed the most, and then to start building out there. Um, the, the, the public cloud kind of portion, so they've, they've said that they're using their, uh, you know, Microsoft's technology to help put their 5G core in, you know, as software co code in the public cloud. And that being, you know, residing at the edge will be particularly helpful for any uh, commercial activities that require super low latency and want to use the 5G network. So that's that's how that all yeah. kind of ties together at a, at a high level. Mm -hmm. Were they pretty all in on public cloud or was it mainly the, the 5G core aspect? Um, what's kind of their approach to the public cloud? Yeah, that's a great question because the the you know there's some interesting um, fraying around you know for, between the various carriers they're all kind of declaring how much or how little they're going to put in the public cloud. I don't see it as much of a distinction. Um, AT and T was very bullish about the public cloud. It they're very like all carriers. They basically have a line that they won't cross. And AT&T's line is a little bit different than Verizon's, which is a little bit different than T-Mobile's and so on. But, you know, they all have um, network operations that they want to control. Um, they want to control exactly how the network works, uh, you know, what the quality of services on that network and how the routing within that network uh, is performed. So they want to be able to, uh, and the security as well. So that stuff's probably not going to go to the public cloud, but all of the applications that run on top of the network uh, and the network functions that people use on the network, like say on the 5G network, you know, voicemail and caller ID and those kinds of things, 
those can be hosted in the public cloud. Those are, um, and so they, they, they have no problem with the applications part. They don't want to be a compute and storage company. They want to be a network operations company. So that's kind of where the, the where the division is. And then, um, but I mean, physically, the division is just, uh, I would say a, a, you know, almost a, an administrative one uh, because Microsoft's cloud was running inside of AT&T's data center slash central office. And it was running right next to AT&T's network cloud, <laughs> which looked exactly the same because mm-hmm. it was all, you know, uh, instantiated and sort of put together on AT&T prescribed, you know, hardware. So when somebody's like, oh, the public cloud is going to be so much different than the private cloud or whatever, it's like, well, yes and no. I mean, essentially it's it's running exactly the same. It's just that AT&T wants tighter control over some things and it wants to outsource, you know, the uh, the stuff that's more uh, like like storage and compute, where there's mm-hmm. already a broad, uh, you know, uh, kind of economies of scale happening in the public cloud, it knows that it can't match the cost per bid or the cost per uh, whatever uh, semiconductor cycle or whatever. So, however you measure computing, <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it can't it can't match that kind of economies of scale with its you know with with what it's doing, but um, so it's happy to let Microsoft you know handle that part. But I mean, the whole thing is still you know the network itself and everything that goes on it is still controlled and secured very tightly by AT and T. I think all the carriers kind of want that same. Um, They'll all articulate it a little bit differently, but essentially they all want the same thing, which is they want to control their network. They want to control how the network is behaved and how it's secured and how it operates. But they do realize that at a point it becomes, um, you know, uh, it, it becomes unprofitable for them to assume too much control, given right. how. Uh, you know, inexpensive and how well uh, companies like Amazon and Microsoft and Google have been able to, uh, you know, bring the world public cloud computing and edge computing and edge networking and stuff like that. So it's, it's, it's weird because it's like they, you know, they had their own spin on it. They had their mm-hmm. own, you know, way of framing it. But it's, if I kind of take a step back and abstract it a bit, I think all the carriers are kind of saying the same thing. Yeah. And I feel like they, you know, they might as well benefit from um, those savings since they're um, from a network standpoint, kind of supporting these public clouds, you know, like they, yeah. Take the, well, take the win. It's a, exactly. And it's a competitive thing too. You know, they tried to be a public cloud computing company themselves. They had to, they had, you know, AT&T and Verizon and everybody had data centers. They had public cloud capabilities. They were selling it as a service for a little bit. And they all found out that they can't possibly match the cost benefit ratio that any of, that any of these public cloud uh, things have. And also public cloud itself, you know, uh, has, uh, changed quite a bit and it's a lot more secure and a lot more reliable now than it used to be. And I think that that coming together with AT&T's sort of, um, you know, 
uh, you know, they've been watching the journey of this stuff and they've embraced things like virtualization on their network in a very big way. And, in a, and, and that helped set them up for uh, putting some of those functions in the public cloud. But I don't think any carrier is going to go all in one way or the other. I think they all have to use public cloud to some extent to keep their cost uh, in line and to keep their network operations, uh, you know, uh, you know, economical enough so that they can still make a profit on what they're charging. Because that was the other thing too that that I didn't learn uh, in the in the, in the uh, AT and tour is you know nobody has a real answer for what is going to be the you know, the thing that people pay extra for on 5G. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's the good answer in the business community, you know, low latency applications for healthcare, for connected cars, for other things. Um, but, you know, for workaday consumers, there's really no difference in the networks. And so the only way to continue to profit from those networks is to continue to um, broaden the scale, connect more devices to it, and keep the run, you know, keep the operations as low as possible. Mm-hmm. Was there anything else just to to wrap up uh, that stood out to you on the tour uh, about five G or you know did they talk about the first net at all? Um, yeah, any demos the, you saw? Well, there was a lot of discussion around first net, and most of it was just touting the uh, responses of you know to the recent hurricanes, how well they the network performed how well AT&T's people performed and how quickly they've been able to turn up uh, service in disaster uh, ridden areas. And that was truly impressive. Um, one of the things that AT&T won't talk about uh, is because of the FirstNet arrangement, um, they, they, they've been very vague about how much money is coming and going out of FirstNet. You know, are they, they, talk, they talk openly about how many subscribers they have on the network. Uh, what you know, public agencies are subs- you know sub- uh, subscribing, you know, fire departments, police departments, that sort of thing. But um, they're only doing that as a competitive affront to Verizon. What they're not saying is how much money they're getting from that from that service and how much money they've spent on uh, you know versus how much public tax dollars ha- are being spent to outfit the carrier with all this cool equipment and cool gear and all the stuff they get to use. So I'm, I'm a little skeptical about um, both AT&T and Verizon's public service uh, stories uh, writ large, because I think that that they are using quite a bit of public funding that they're not talking about. And I think these things are huge profit centers for them or they wouldn't be doing it. Um, they like to position it as just, this is just out of the goodness of our hearts. Mm-hmm. Well, they've given us no proof that that's really the case. Yeah. Um, and I think they would be slightly embarrassed if they had to disclose exactly how much money uh, you know, they are taking from the public coffers to stand up these uh, uh, rather magnificent you know, emergency services. Right. And by the way, I don't have a problem with them. I'm, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm just saying... <laughs> I'm just saying it's it's they're they're trying to couch it as public service when in fact it's probably incredibly profitable or they wouldn't be doing it. Yeah, I mean it definitely seems like an opportunity for them to test out some new technologies and yeah. you know pour money into um, some areas that maybe they otherwise would not have um, you know spent so much focus on. Like we've talked to Verizon about yeah. all their different. Um, 
vehicles that have yeah. drones and 5G capabilities and satellite phones. And none of that is probably very cheap. <laughs> no, but the good news is about all of that stuff is that they do actively, and I do believe both carriers do this, is they do actively take what they learn in the field and apply it to their own network. So every time they do visit a disaster zone, they do a pretty thorough analysis of why did this fail? What caused it to fail? And, and is there some way we can, you know, within reason, we can ensure that this doesn't happen in every other location that has the same uh, pro the same risk profile as far as weather and stuff like that goes. And that's actually that that part was really eye opening to me because the you know with climate change, this is going to start happening more and more. We're going to get more extreme storms in more places. It would it's nice to know that at least the folks running the networks are thinking ahead and trying to um, quickly assimilate as much you know, in, or not assimilate, but sort of process as much information about the disaster as they can, and then roll it out to all these other places. Uh, that'll keep the networks up longer. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what we need. You know, when disaster strikes, you definitely, um, I saw one of the executives quoted in somebody else's story, unfortunately, uh, but talking about <laughs> FirstNet, you know, that what you really want is when you're on your, you know, you're on your roof and you're house is completely flooded. You want that cell phone to work. That's all right. you've got, you exactly. know? And so I, I definitely, uh, like I said, I definitely applaud that they're going through all that trouble. I wish they were a little more open about the disclosure of how the, how these things are funded and mm -hmm. where the money comes from. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a great example. And living in an area that's often affected by hurricanes and flooding, I appreciate those services. Yeah, so yeah definitely. Uh, well, Phil, thanks for um, this update on uh, what AT&T has been up to. And we'll link to uh, that article in the show notes as well. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Phil, for taking the time to talk today. Thank you to our wonderful producer, Pierre Landrio, for making this episode. Be sure to subscribe to the Light Reading Podcast for more interviews and insights from the team. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.